catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Now it's time for something completely different. The Pentagon's plans for techno-weapons and space warfare and what it may mean for America's global domination in the next decade or two. For that, we turn to Alfred McCoy. He's the J.R.W. Smale Professor of History at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, the author of many books. His new one is titled In the Shadow of the American Century, The Rise and Decline of U.S. Global Power. It's published this week by Haymarket and Dispatch Books. He's a regular at Tom Dispatch and a contributor to The Nation magazine. We reached him today in Madison. Alfred McCoy, welcome to the program. Thank you, John. Pleasure to be there. Well, during the 2012 presidential debates, Mitt Romney complained that, quote, our Navy is smaller now than at any time since 1917. What was Obama's response to that? Well, President Obama, as we all know, is a very polite and considerate man. And he got about as nasty as I've ever seen him get in a public address. He was withering. He said, Governor, this is not a game of battleships. He said, we don't use bayonets anymore. We don't use battleships. He said, it's a question of what are our capabilities. He said, we need to start thinking about cyberspace. We need to start thinking about space. And actually, Obama had been doing a good deal more than thinking about both cyberspace and space warfare. Obama picked up on long-term trends inside the Pentagon, and he accelerated the shift away from more conventional arenas of combat, which is to say air, land, sea, and is pushing us into these two new domains of conflict, cyberspace, the cables beneath the sea, and aerospace and space, the skies and the exosphere above the earth. Obama presided over the establishment of the U.S. Cyber Command. Under his watch, the Defense Department declared Cyber Command to be an operational domain, that's to say, just like air, land, and sea. And we've seen how sensitive that is. He also accelerated the shift beyond conventional manned aircraft to, to drones. And under Obama, they went from something like 71 hours a year of flying time by 2009, they were clocking 250,000 uh, hours. By the uh, end of Obama's second term, we were up to an armada of over 7,000 drones, and we were launching an amazing array. We have very sophisticated uh, surveillance drones that can fly over hostile airspace. The Navy has developed a, a, a drone that's going to be operational in a couple years that can actually fly off uh, the decks of aircraft carriers 
they've crossed that threshold. Uh, and the, um, the flight boss of the Navy says that the integration of these drones are going to extend the range of operational aircraft. They're also carry, capable of carrying weapons. The big question is, who is this war going to be fought against? It's hard to imagine that they think these massive new high-tech weapons are going to defeat uh, a, a low-tech opponent like ISIS. Could it be China that they have in mind for a future war? Well, first of all, they, they do make them part of the U.S. strike against so-called terrorists. I mean, for example, President Trump launched the most intensive single drone attack in Yemen, uh, already, so we're using drones uh, across borders in remote areas. They become a chief weapon against terrorism. But we're also developing uh, space drones and space technology for a future war against China. Look, uh, the the Pentagon, very well informed think tanks like the Rand Corporation, Santa Monica, California, which has a close, long-standing relationship with the Pentagon, the various uh, the various branches of the U.S. government. Everybody thinks that if there is a, a war on the horizon, a major war. It's going to be a war with China. And in fact, the Rand Corporation, which is a very famous think tank, been very close to the Air Force, created by the Air Force, for the Air Force, now for the whole Defense Department, they actually did a report called War with China. And they, they looked at the array of forces, both these domains I've been talking about, cyberspace, space, and then air, land, sea, and they concluded that in a war with China, the United States might not win. Now, that is phenomenal. Actually, China's strategy is not to confront us across the full spectrum of all five domains of conflict, air, land, sea, cyberspace, space. China's being very strategic. I think what they're con confronting us over is cyberspace, because China's ahead of us in supercomputing. For the past seven years, China's had the world's fastest supercomputers, and they now have more supercomputers than we have. The other thing I think is they've gone for more sophisticated satellite technology, uh, the, the aerospace dimension. China is developing the photon satellite, the photon communication satellite. So instead of sending microwave signals from ground to air, which can be hacked and compromised, they're transmitting light through photons, and they're experimenting with uh, launching the world's first photon-linked uh, satellite system. If they do that, they will have a satellite system that cannot be hacked. Meanwhile, we're using older technology which can be hacked. All right? And indeed, our drones can be hacked. Iran, which doesn't have any nearware near the technological sophistication of China, a few years ago hacked the most sophisticated drone in our arsenal. They actually captured a RQ-170 CIA drone, and they landed it inside Iran and heavily publicized it because it turns out that the GPS signals, which are transmitted from satellites, are easy to capture and compromise. Huh. So China's edge in satellite security could be critical. So my hypothesis is that when World War III is fought, it's going to be fought in cyberspace and in space. There are going to be very few human casualties. Uh, and that China could very likely win because they're faster than we are with supercomputing, which is how you do the the codes and code breaking, how you do the hacking and counter hacking, how you secure yourself from hacking and how you hack. And second, they seem to be getting a march on us in satellites. They were the first to establish in 2007 the Chinese shot one of their own satellites out of, a, out of the 
out of space 500 miles above the Earth with a missile. So this is coming. This is coming. And the United States has, by the way, created the world's first space drone, the X-37B. We launched it in 2010. We continued those tests for two years. It was, its performance was flawless. It's then since disappeared. I, I suspect that we're developing a missile-armed space drone that's ready to knock out China's satellites in the sky. So the war that's going to be fought will be fought in space. It's going to be fought in cyberspace, and it will result in the, the blinding of our major strategic forces. That will be the game, is, is blinding and knocking out command, control, and communications via space and cyberspace. And China could very readily win. In your new book, In the Shadows of the American Century, you explicitly compare uh, American hegemony to what the hegemony of China would be like if China were to win this war in 2030. How do you compare these two hegemonies? Yes, look, the United States did something impressive in the history of world empires. We added at the acme of the apex of our power back in the 1950s. We created an international order grounded on principles of law, avoidance of war, and respect for human rights. So at the end of World War II, when our power, when we were lords of the earth, with uh, Europe in ruins, Japan defeated, China roiled in revolution, we controlled 50% of the global economy, we had the most powerful military scattered all across the planet, and what did we do? We created the United Nations. We followed that uh, with the creation of the General Agreement on Tra Trade and Tariffs, now the World Trade Organization. Uh, we established the International Monetary Fund and the World Bank to promote development in a well-managed global economy. Mind you, we betrayed our own principles many times, but we still stand for those principles of the rule of law internationally and for the promotion of human rights, which means also in this day, women's rights and the rights of gay and transsexual <clears throat> people. Now, China is a very different kind of empire. It's a rail politique empire, an empire of mutual convenience. Uh, they have very limited commitment, if much at all, to human rights, to women's rights, to the rule of law. So I think China's hegemony, if it comes to that, is going to be power and profit without principles. And we've had power and profit, but we've also had principles. We've betrayed them, we've compromised them, but we've kind of worked to advance them fitfully, flawed way, but, but we've done it nonetheless. So it's going to be a darker, I think more dismal kind of international order that would emerge from a China-dominated world. And yet it seems paradoxical for progressives to defend the American empire. What are, you, what are your thoughts about that? Look, uh, the Harvard historian Niall Ferguson, who used to work on empires before he went on to other things, said he counted there something like, he said, I've counted 79 empires in world history dating back over 4,000 years. In other words, empires are a constant, okay? So uh, let's say, let's go back to World War II. Who would you favor winning the war? The Nazi Empire in Europe allied with the Japanese Empire in Asia, which was actually history's biggest empire, or the emerging American Empire? Well, personally, I think the world is a better place because the American Empire and the British Empire in alliance defeated the Axis empires. 
And how can I put it? Every human organization runs, you know, at the at the most benign way possible and the most malign way possible. Empires are inherently contradictory. They're inherently cruel. They're inherently inequitable. But within this constant form of global governance, the U.S. empire has been more beneficent than most. And what's likely to succeed us could be much, much worse. Alfred McCoy, his new book, published this week, is titled In the Shadows of the American Century, The Rise and Decline of U.S. Global Power. You can read an excerpt at thenation.com now. Alfred McCoy, thanks so much for talking with us today. John, thank you very much. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.